Well, this morning, we are beginning a brand new journey through the book of Acts. And um, if you have been uh, out for a while, uh, even a few weeks, if you're new to North Point, you've come at the perfect time because uh, this series is an important series to who we are as a church. How many of y'all have ever been through a series on the book of Acts? Anybody ever been through a series on the book of Acts? Okay, a handful of you have. Um, uh, this will be uh, uh, an incredible book for us to kind of study and journey through. This is a pivotal book uh, in the New Testament. Now, you need to know we're not going to go straight through it. Uh, we're going to do, you know, 8, 10, 12 weeks uh, uh, at a time, and then we'll take a little break, and, and I'll do a standalone uh, message or a little sermon series in between. Uh, but by and large, the book of Acts will be our focus over the next year or so. And this morning, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a little introduction of the book, because I think everybody needs to understand uh, a little bit about the book of Acts so that when we delve into the book of Acts, you can kind of see the whole purpose and the meaning behind it. Uh, we're going to learn some incredible things along the way. We're going to discover some of God's founding principles uh, he used to birth his church. Uh, we'll read about some of the miracles that occurred uh, via some of the ministries that were birthed in the first church. Uh, and more specifically, we're going to learn about how God works through men uh, uh, in and by uh, his spirit. And so this, this series comes at a good time, I believe, in the life of our church. Uh, when we think about where we are, where we've come from, what our plans are, uh, what God wants to do here in this community, this is an incredible uh, uh, journey for us to embark upon. And, and we're going to get to see uh, uh, God's pattern uh, for the church. And, uh, and we're going to see what God intended the church to be and how the church was intended to function. We're going to see some incredible missionary efforts and uh, what, the, what the Bible actually says uh, is God's pattern for those missionary efforts. And we're going to see God's pattern for governing the church and, and uh, directing the church. We're going to see God's pattern for building the church. We're going to see God's pattern for evangelizing the world. And so this is a really, really good uh, study for us to journey. If you would, go ahead and turn in the book to the book of Acts. Uh, if you know where it's at, it's the fifth book in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Now, you need to know... Uh, that uh, the New Testament wasn't written in sequential order. In case some of you don't know, maybe you're new to the faith, but the New Testament was not written in sequential order. In other words, Math Matthew wasn't written first, then Mark, uh, then Luke, then John, but they're actually dated. I'm going to show you a little uh, 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 date chart up here. When you look at Matthew, uh, most scholars would agree today that Matthew was written roughly between A.D., uh, after Jesus' death, about 64 to 70. Remember, Jesus died about 30 Okay, A.D. roughly is what most scholars believe. Uh, Mark was written between 55 and 65 A.D. Uh, Mark was written first, and then, uh, uh, then Luke was written between 1662, and then John was the last gospel that was written. Uh, now, the early church, believe it or not, actually placed the gospels at the beginning of the New Testament canon for a reason. Because in the gospels, in these first books, these first books, along with the book of Acts, is foundational uh, to everything, the epistles uh, that are written to, in, in the book of, in, in many of the epistles. And the gospels that I had written in my notes here, the gospels are rooted in and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And they provide the historical as well as the theological backdrop for the rest of the New Testament. And Acts is where it is for a very specific purpose. Who wrote the book of Acts? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, okay, he not only wrote 
the, the, the apostles or the Acts of the Apostles, okay, which is what it's really titled, if you look at it in the Greek, but he also wrote the book of Luke, and, and they kind of worked together, and, and how did that happen? Well, Luke was, was closely associated uh, with the apostles from about the time of Jesus' death, until, uh, which was about, a set a second ago, about 30 A.D., to about 60 to 62 A.D., uh, where he began to pen these books. And in those 30 intervening years, Luke actually travels as a companion with the apostles. So as he's, as he's traveling, he's making notes. Remember, Luke was not an apostle. So he's hearing the stories. He's listening to the stories of the apostles. And all these stories he's gathering and he's writing down. And so, uh, and so it's a really a powerful, powerful uh, 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 source for us in the New Testament. Now, when you think about the book of uh, Acts, Acts is not a, a, uh, an exhaustive list of all the things that went over and took place uh, during that time, but rather instead it's just an overview of those 30 years and, and uh, uh, it gives us kind of the historical backdrop to what took place. Um, Luke and Acts together, again, are a monumental tool for us in understanding what God was doing in the world at that time particularly in that region after the death of Christ. Uh, Acts is a pivotal book of transitions. I want you to see some of the transitions here. First and foremost, uh, it moves us uh, from the Gospels to the Epistles. There's a, there's a history there. It transitions us from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, into the Epistles, and it's showing us what's happening. Here's the next one right here. It, trans it transfers us from Judaism to Christianity, which is the religion. It moves from Jesus being over, or God being over the Jews, to Jesus becoming Lord and Savior of, of the whole world. And so uh, it moves from law to grace. We know in the Old Testament there's many laws that are written, and many laws we can't understand. And Jesus came, and he fulfilled every law, and he became the perfect sacrifice, and we enter into a relationship of grace. Uh, and then the next one is this. It moves from Jews alone to Jews and Gentiles, which deals with the people of God. And the last one is this right here moves from kingdom to church, which is God's program for ultimately reaching the world. And, and, and you might not, this probably is an interest to some of you. I know it's not to my wife. She doesn't care for this kind of stuff. She's sitting back in the back. But um, uh, when it comes to style and literary uh, quality, this is really, I love this. Luke uh, and Acts are unsurpassed in all the New Testament. It's an incredible, incredible uh, uh, tool for us. And a matter of fact, Luke actually uses over 700 words that are not found in the other 25 New Testament books. And Luke uh, was obviously a well-studied guy. Uh, uh, he studied the Septuagint, and, and we know that because nine-tenths of the 700 words that Luke uses in Luke and Acts is nowhere found in the other 25 books in the New Testament. Luke includes about, get this, about 80 geographical references. He mentions over 100 people by name in the book of Acts. In his precision, inciting locations like provinces, cities, and specific sites, as well as his use of titles like council, tetriarch, and proconsul, is, is beyond amazing. I mean, Luke was an extremely, extremely smart and intelligent man. And Luke's attention to detail uh, at times in history had been challenged by many critics. And the beauty of uh, God's word and the beauty of historical facts is this. Many of the things that people, the critics would question in the past have now been uh, debunked because much of it has been proven by archaeological evidence. And so I love just, just all of the, the features that we find uh, both in Luke and Acts. Here's another prominent 
thing about the book of Acts. Uh, The book of of Acts actually has over 24 messages found in its 28 chapters that actually make up the book. So those are just some interesting facts behind the book and and, and what the book is really about. And, And, you know, in light of the style, in light of the literary quality, in light of the pivotal uh, transitions, in light of the geographical preferences or references, in light of the names and the titles and locations, the book of Acts has a very unique storyline. I want you to see this. What is the storyline behind the book of Acts? The storyline behind the book of Acts is the birth of the church. It's the birth of us. And it begins in Jerusalem, and then it rapidly expands until it reaches the capital of the world at that time, Rome. And it's an incredible, incredible journey for us. In fact, in the 30-year period under this tremendous power of the Spirit at work in these apostles, the church actually explodes on the scene. And in those 30 years, Luke actually presents to us how the Spirit of God supernaturally directed, controlled, and ultimately empowered the expansion of his church. And when we think about Luke, go ahead and turn to, to, to look at uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. Luke begins the book of Acts really where he left off in his Gospels. And in the first book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke kind of shows us the life of Christ, and he shows us an example of Jesus and how the Spirit was at work in him and how the Spirit was behind him and upon him and, and, and a part of everything that he did. And in Acts 1, we actually read the most important verse in the entire book. This book is the, is, is the, is the, the heart of the entire book of Acts. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 which says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. See, that's Jesus saying that. And Jesus is about to exit the world. He's about to leave the world for the last time. He's about to send into heaven. And, and he comes down to his disciples and he says, guys, the Holy Spirit is about to come upon you. Something's going to transpire that's going to change you. And in essence, what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is basically passing the baton of the Spirit that was upon him, and he's about to pass it to his disciples. And they had no idea because up until this point, the disciples were extremely afraid of death and dying and being persecuted. You find them hiding out. But yet they possess the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon them. And it's almost like Jesus is passing on. Flip back real quick, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Hold your place there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because that's our passage for this morning as we overview the book. But look at verses 45 through 49. These are Jesus' last words speaking to his disciples, okay? Then he comes back one last time in Acts 1, 8, and he gives them uh, those words. But this is Jesus' last words. I want you to see this. These are really important words that Jesus uh, says, as a matter of fact, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission, okay? Let's look at it, verse 45 through 49. Here's what it says. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And verse 48, he says, You men are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. 
but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Did you catch what Jesus said right there? He says, guys, the message is this. I came, I suffered, I died, I rose again. That power that was upon me, that power that brought me out of the grave is the power that's going to come upon you. And you need to understand something. You are not going to be able to do anything. You will do nothing until this power comes upon you. You will never be effective in my mission. You'll never be effective in my work until this power. And he says, I want you to hang out here. I want you to hold loose right here because this power is going to come upon you. And I thought about, um, uh, you know, us and at times how, uh, you think about yourself, how, how many times have we felt inadequate in our, in our office or on our school campus just really stepping out and sharing our faith? How oftentimes we felt, you know, just like, God, I can't do it. And, and there, there's an element of fear inside of us, and, and, and yet God wants us to share our story. God wants us to share our story. And I thought about those disciples then, and I thought about us today. The same fear that we have today in sharing our faith is the same fear that those men had before the Spirit came upon them in Acts 1-8. And this whole share my story in the world thing isn't really about you and I mustering up enough strength. It's not about you and I having the courage to step out and do that. It's not about that. It's about the Spirit of God being upon you. It's about the Spirit of God being in you and coming out of you, and you letting the Spirit of God work in you. You see, God designed this, this whole witnessing thing so that in the end, our weaknesses are put on display, and God, God has to show his strength, or else we fall flat on our face. That's the beauty of sharing our story. God designed it so that you and I wouldn't get the credit for leading people to Christ. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5-7. through Paul's addressing the church at Corinth, and there was a lot of people that were elevating uh, Apollos, they were, some that were elevating Paul, some of them were elevating other people. And here's what Paul says. He says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. See, the entire model the entire model behind growing God's church is all designed so that his glory is being made known through us as servants. That's the beauty of God's story. And for those of you who have ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, you know, you know that in those times, it is the Holy Spirit working in you and speaking through you. I, I, I hear in my study on, on Wednesday nights, and I hear when I converse with, with different people about, man, I came to this moment, and I don't know what happened, but there's words that just came to my mouth, and I don't know where they came from. There's verses that I remember that I have no clue where those verses came from. It's because the Spirit of God is working in us and through us. And the beauty of us as a church is this, that we become more effective when we let that happen in us. See, the Holy Spirit is there to fill us with power to do what you and I are not able to do. Now let's look back at Acts chapter 1a. Again, these are Jesus's last words, final last words before his ascension, and they are perfectly realized in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, get this, is actually the outline to the entire book of Acts. I'm going to show you real quick, okay? Look at this real quick. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let's read it again. He says this. Yep, yeah, thank you. 
He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Look here at verse, look at this, this chapter, or this one verse. Acts actually traces, Acts 1 actually traces the important events that unfolded in that culture at that time. I want to show you real quick. The three movements that Acts follows this key verse. Witnesses, and just go ahead and put the chart up for me. Hopefully you can read this. Okay? Witnesses in Jerusalem, which was mentioned there in Acts 1-8 at the very top. Witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then witnesses to the ends of the earth. And here are the divisions. We see in Acts chapter 1, beginning Acts chapter 1, we see the power of the church. All the way through Acts chapter 4, the progress of the church. Then in, from Acts 5 to uh, 12, 25, we see the expansion of the church. Then beginning in 13, 1, we see Paul's three missionary journeys. And then all the way through Paul's three trials. Notice that the focus underneath witness in Jerusalem is on the Jews. When it switches from witnesses in Judea and Samaria, it moves, it moves into the Samaritan area. And, it, and the focus is on Philip. It moves from Peter to Philip and then to Paul. Let's think about what actually transpired there. Think about the witnesses in Jerusalem. You know... After appearing to the disciples for 40 days, remember Jesus died, then he rose again, and the scripture actually tells us that he appeared to the disciples for 40 days. And the Lord tells them again to wait in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of his promise concerning the Holy Spirit. Ten days after his ascension, after that 40 days, he promises this, this, this promise of this significant infilling of the Spirit actually takes place. Acts 1-8 takes place. The Spirit lands upon the disciples, and they are empowered, and they are infilled. And this takes place, get this, on the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and it takes, day, it takes place 50 days after the first fruits, which is the resurrection. What do I mean by all that? Here's what I mean by that. God's timing is perfect. Because every Jewish male was required to be in Jerusalem at that time. And think about the culture and what was unfolding in that region at that time. Jesus had been crucified and died. There were tons of questions about who Jesus was. They'd seen his miracles. They'd heard his stories. They'd heard that he was the Messiah, but he was dead. And then this little rumor gets out that for 40 days, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And they're looking for proof. And Acts 1-8 happens. The Spirit falls, and all these people converge on Jerusalem. And do you remember what happened? Peter stands, and he preaches the resurrection. And 3,000 people are saved. As a matter of fact, G, uh, Peter actually heals a lame person, and it says that thousands more are saved. And then Peter and some of the apostles are arrested. They're put in prison. And then they get an opportunity to share their story again. And, and there's, there's a jailer and his family and other individuals that accept Christ. We see the birth of the church unfolding right there in Jerusalem. And then we move uh, the witness uh, into, Judea, into Judea and, in, and into Samaria. And here, Philip goes to the province, which is the region. Okay, Judea was a location, started there. But, but Philip goes to the region of Samaria. And he successfully proclaims the New Testament to all the people who, remember, were hated by the Jews. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And Philip goes and he proclaims the message. As a matter of fact, God sovereignly works through Peter and John who actually confirm his work. 
and they actually, they actually exercised this, this apostolic authority as apostles to say, hey, we confirm what's happening over there in Samaria with those people that we didn't used to like or love. Matter of fact, during this time, God sovereignly transforms Saul, the persecutor, into Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. But it didn't begin with Paul, did it? If you know the story of Acts, it actually began with Peter. Peter had a vision. He had a vision that God went to the Gentiles. And then Peter woke up. He followed that vision. He met Cornelius. He introduced Christ to Cornelius, a Gentile, and his family. That family was saved. Peter comes back. And he affirms before the elders and the apostles and every leader in the city of Jerusalem and says, guess what? God is now moving outside of the Jews to the Gentile, to the lost world. God's movement is beginning to stretch outside of Jerusalem. And the Christians begin to experience more and more persecution. And then we read about the witnesses or being a witness to the othermost parts of the world. And beginning with chapter 13, Luke switches his focus in the book of Acts from Peter to the Apostle Paul, and Antioch of Syria gradually replaces Jerusalem as the hub of God's ministry. And it's from this place that God actually sends Peter out on his three missionary journeys. The first journey took place between 48 and 49 AD, and it concentrates on Galatian cities like Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And after, he journey, after this journey, uh, a council is held with the apostles and the elders in the church of Jerusalem, and they determined that the Gentile converts are truly Christ followers, and now they don't have to adhere to all the laws of the Jews. Things are changing. The whole environment of that culture is changing. And then Paul takes his second missionary journey from AD 50 to 52, and he comes once again to the Galatian churches, but then for the first time he moves into the region of Macedonia and Greece, and he spends time in many of the cities like Philippi, Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, and then he returns again to the Jerusalem, uh, uh, to Jerusalem and, and, and Antioch. And then the last missionary journey took place between AD 53 and 57, and Paul spends almost three years in the Asian city of Ephesus. And you begin to see how God is at work here. And see, the book of Acts. If it wasn't for the book of Acts, do you realize we wouldn't understand much of what Paul wrote in his epistles? That's why they come after the Gospels. The book of Acts is a major important book to us as believers in understanding this movement that started with the resurrection of Christ. And you remember when Paul wanted to, to go to Jerusalem, uh, the people couldn't persuade him otherwise. He wanted to go, but they wanted to take his life. By this time, this whole Christian thing was changing everything. Jews wanted him dead. They were looking to take Paul and the apostles out at any chance they could get. And they said, Paul, don't go. You don't need to go. He said, I'm going. And you remember he went, and this major uproar took place, and this mob forms, and, and, uh, and a Roman commander intervenes and saves Paul's life, and he's put uh, in, under house arrest, and, and uh, there's a, a conspiracy to assassinate Paul in the secret uh, of the night, Paul is a, moves to become a prisoner of Felix, uh, the governor of Caesarea, and, and, and then he stands before and defends his faith before Felix and Festus and Agrippa, and eventually he appeals to Caesar and he moves to Rome, and guess what happens? The movement of the church, Acts 1 tells us, which began in Jerusalem, moves to Judea, a little small region of Samaria, moves to the region of Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1 gives us the outline for the entire book 
of Acts. It's on the screen behind me. Acts is the story of the spread of Christianity, empowered and energized by the Holy Spirit throughout the world. Now, here's the, the crux of what I want you to understand this morning, and really as we draw near to the end of the service, what I want you to understand is this. What I want you to walk away from this morning is this. The very same Spirit that was at work, not only in the lives of those apostles, but on the lives of those apostles, is the same Spirit that's available to you and I today. Now, here's my question to you. Food for thought. As we begin to look at the book of Acts, I want you to seriously consider your effectiveness in the world in being a witness for Christ on your campus, in your communities, where you work, who you work with. The same spirit was on those men and women back then is the same spirit that is available to us today. And something's happened. I want you to think about these words that are on the screen right here. The Spirit-empowered church. Spirit-empowered. Do you realize that's what we need to be the church? That's what you need to be the church. That's what God's called us to. And then we think about church. That's us. Church, get this. Remember, I say this all the time. Church is not a building. It's not a location. It's not 20 acres. The church is you and I. And it's God's Spirit being upon us and moving through us and in us. And as believers living in an ungodly world, I think we sometimes wonder whether or not we can ever really make a difference. We look around and see all the things that are happening. And we wonder if we can even ever counter the, the crazy cynicism that comes out of the media. How can we really have an effect? I mean, we're in the Bible Belt. And we're losing ground. The answer to that question lies in the source of our power. Do we really believe? in a spirit-empowered church. Folks, can I say this to you as your pastor? That's why I'm still here. That's what it's about. That's what God has called us to. And I think sometimes churches can become a lot like Peter on the water. You remember the story of Peter on the water? And he's in the boat, and Jesus is on the land, and Jesus comes walking to them in the midst of a storm. The boat is turning and twisting, and he sees Jesus. And he says, can I come out? And he steps out onto the water and he begins to take a step. And he takes one or two steps and then he begins to sink in fear. See, I think we get it. We get Acts 1-8. And you will receive power when the spirits come upon you. And you should be my witnesses. We get that. We understand that. But the problem is we aren't living it. We've been sinking. And we continue to sink. Not just individually, but as a church. And God's caught us up to do something different, whether it's on a college campus, in a high school, in a middle school, in a grade school, or as a retired dad or mom. God's called us to be witnesses and examples. I want to take you on a journey real quick. I want to show you the incredible journey here. Turn over, look, look at the, let's start with, the, go ahead and put these verses up real quick so you can kind of see them. These verses are worth writing down. These verses are key moments in scripture we, we begin to see everything that i just described to you the movement from judea to samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth we see the growth of the church in these passages right here these are key passages i'm going to read them to you but i want you to understand what these passages actually mean for us as a church and i don't want you to see where how the power transitions from the beginning to the end and where it comes from 
Look at what it says. Let's start with Acts chapter 1, verse 15. What it says here. This is the very beginning. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about how many? 120 persons was there. So there's the beginning. 120 people. 30 years. Jesus is dead. It's 80, 30 roughly. And Peter stands up, and there's 120 that are, that are wanting to follow Christ. Okay? Now let's flip over to chapter 2, verse 41. Look at what it says there. I'll read when the pages stop rustling. So kids, don't do me a favor. Don't do this, all right? Because I'll, I'll be confused, all right? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. Peter's word. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Jump down to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now jump over to chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now we're talking 120 to 5,000 in a matter of just days. Look at 514. It says this, and all the more believer and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to the number. Now the number can't even be counted. Luke can't even keep track of the number. Doesn't even know. That day when five thousand were counted, they were counting people. Now they can't even keep track. Look at verse uh, verse seven of chapter six. It says this the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests now, priests, Jewish priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. Now it's reaching over into the Jews who were, who were responsible for killing Jesus. Many of the priests are coming. Flip over to now uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 13, or uh, excuse me, verse uh, 31. Look what it says. Now, notice where the region is now. It says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to what? Increase. Now look at 12, 24. Good transition here. Look at what it's transitioning to. It was Peter's word. But now look at what it says. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. You see what's happening here? There's a transition. Let's keep reading. Look at verse, uh, uh, look at chapter 13, verse uh, 49. It says this, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. There's the word again. Look at uh, uh, 16, uh, look at verse, uh, chapter 16, verse uh, 5. It says, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith. Now it's reaching out into the world. We're being strengthened in the faith and we're increasing in number daily. And look at, look at verse 19, or chapter 19, the last verse right here. So you see this. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. You see, folks? What is it? See, the Spirit of God alive and the Word of God at work in the lives of God's people.
And, 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 you know, when you think about history, and I know people would debate this, and I'm sure there was, there, there, we could line up and say there was other moments in history that were dark, but, but there are, this is a dark time. And we wonder, how can we have an effect? We think about this upcoming presidential election. We think about abortion. We think about immigration. We think about uh, crime and, and, and drugs and violence. And we think about all those things. And, and there's an element of fear in our hearts. And we wonder. And there's a trepidation in us. And we think, man, how can we make a difference? Stop and think about those first disciples, those first believers. What made the difference? It was the Spirit of God and the Word of God alive inside of them. That's what transformed that culture. And I'm saying to you folks, the hope of the next generation is not on the next president or the next governor or the next senator or councilman or anything like that. The hope of the next generation is you and me. It's us. It's the message of Jesus Christ. That's what transforms. That's why God has strategically placed us. And so as we're journeying through the book of Acts, I want you to, to understand that that's what God has called us to. God's called us to transform. Being here on Sundays is important. Being connected to this church is important. You're going to see that. You're going to see the, the growth and the development of God's church is where people come together and they're encouraged and they're challenged and at times held account. For what they believe. Someone once said that the church is important because the church is the only organization that Jesus Christ ever set up. He established it. The Bible tells us that he purchased it with his own blood. Colossians 1 tells us that, that he is the head of the church. And Jesus told us himself that the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. And I think about how many of you really believe in the spirit that we've been given? Are you living it? Do you believe it? I want to warn you, the Bible actually tells us that in the last days, there will actually be an apostasy, a falling away from the belief in the spirit of God that's supposed to be alive in you and me. It's a falling away. Church becomes more a show. The word's not taught. The Bible's not valued. Moms and dads aren't elevating the word in their home. They're just doing their job, and they're making sure that that child knows John 3.16 and a Romans 3.23 and a 6.23. But moms and dads and grandparents aren't serious about the Spirit of God and the Word of God being alive inside of them. You don't think this book is important for us today? As we think about where we're headed and what God wants to do in and through us, this is a picture in and through the stories of what God has called us to be as a church. And someone once said that the holiest moment of the church service is when God's people walk out the doors of that church. It's the holiest moment. Where you come in, you're fed, you worship, you experience God, and you go out and you become witnesses, storytellers of the Jesus who has transformed you and changed you and given you everlasting life. Gut check. When you stop and you think about your life and where you are, what would the church look like 
if every church member looked just like you? What would this church look like if every church member looked just like you? If everybody attended as often as you do, if everybody shared the gospel as often as you do, if everyone worshiped like you do, if everyone gave like you did, if everyone behaved as you behaved. See, the fact of the matter is, we don't realize it. Doesn't matter what age you are, the moment that you become a Christ follower, you are important to what God wants to do in this church if you call this church your home. If you're a Christian and you're a student, what God has done in your heart, many of you all made decisions at Falls Creek, and you know right now you're not representing Christ, you know it. The things that you text, the things that come out of your mouth, the things that you think, they don't represent Christ. And you wonder why you're not effective for the kingdom. In the last days, there will be an apostasy. There will be a falling away. If we're going to be who God's called us to be, we are called to stand and to allow his spirit to be Lord of our lives and allow his word to direct our lives. Is that happening in your life? Is that important? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes.